podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, welcome to the TMBA podcast. This is the show where we believe building a business is the best way to gain more personal freedom and financial security in your life and the lives of your family. Speaking of family, Boss Man's going to have a kid. You announced that on last week's episode. I think we can drop the applause effect for that. And to top it off, today is your birthday. Wow. What a week. Our beards are graying massively. <laughs> we are squarely in middle life, good sir. This is something that I don't agree with, and that's the second time that you said that to me. You said it before we started recording this. What are you talking about? It is your birthday. You are having a kid. What, what are you taking issue with here? The part I'm taking issue with is this middle life thing. So when I was growing up, you had like your midlife crisis when you were like 50. You bought a red Corvette. Yeah. 50. Hear me out. It's irrational, but it's a courtesy. You say, oh, midlife crisis, 50, you know, alluding to the fact that you, you might live to 100, right? It's generous, especially back in the 80s. There's a lot of cocaine and cigarettes going on. Very optimistic. <laughs> it was a courtesy that you extended people. And so by you saying midlife at 36, I feel like I'm getting robbed of something. Although, you know, when you do that X2 number, like it does seem like a reasonable number. It seems like yesterday we were starting this business. I was 26 years old. At 26, you feel like a kid, or at least I felt like a kid. I was just, you know, kind of finding my way. 10 years later, all of a sudden, I'm midlife. How does that work? You're midlife. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Happy birthday, though. Thank you. Today, we are going to be talking about when you talk about like things that are buzzing, things that are trending, things that people can't stop talking about. I would just say right now in our community, there's two topics. I'll just put you on the spot, boss man. You, can you guess? Mm. I know you know what today's episode's about. So, what's the other one? <laughs> I do. There's only two things that are kind of buzzing like that these days. That's cryptocurrency and Amazon. Cryptocurrency, we'll get to that. Today we're talking about Amazon. We have two insiders on the show. I mean, it really spans the whole entrepreneurial spectrum. If you're just in a job right now and you're thinking about getting your first foothold and making money online, automated income into your bank account, location independent, all that good stuff. Amazon is one of the best opportunities that exists for you. I think it's fair to say it that way. I mean, I'm just, that the proof's in the pudding. I'm seeing it. But also on the other side of things, for the investor class, legit investors are interested in these assets. So we're going to get into this and a wide variety of related topics about the Amazon opportunity in today's episode. In order to understand it, there's two business models that are worth pointing out related to Amazon. The first is FBA, which is fulfillment by Amazon. That's where you source a product and Amazon warehouses it for you and ships it to your customers when they purchase that product on Amazon's platform. The other is an Amazon associate site or an Amazon affiliate site which is essentially where you create a marketing website that points people to Amazon's site and you get a commission when people buy. And the final opportunity we're going to be talking about is people flipping and investing in these assets, which is turning into a major theme in the Amazon community. So Ian, as you know, right now I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is a hotbed for a lot of this stuff. Accidentally got onto the Amazon topic. I was supposed to be riding my bike, but I crashed it this weekend. Speaking of midlife and mortality, oh, tire spontaneously exploded. Happens. Fell on the left hand. So I've got one good hand, which is good enough to podcast with. Last time this year, we had a podcast that was one of the most popular and most controversial episodes we've ever done. It was on the Amazon topic as well called How Hundreds of Young Entrepreneurs Are Making Generational Wealth in less than five years. The guest of that show has agreed to return for this week's show. His name is Kevin Graham, and he runs a portfolio of almost 60 Amazon product review websites. He also owns two hosting companies for people that want to build their own private blog networks, which we'll get into a little bit about how they work and why they're important in the space. So this interview actually took place 
in Chiang Mai, Thailand, right here in my apartment. We were also joined by Corin Woodmass, whose company, the FBABroker.com, brokers Amazon-based e-commerce businesses, which means he's a broker focusing specifically on connecting buyers and sellers of Amazon FBA businesses. Kevin has lived in Chiang Mai for a few years now, and Corin and his wife, Leanne, use the city as a base for several months every year. It's an absolutely spectacular place to be, to meet other entrepreneurs, specifically in the wintertime. And I, I just got to say, Ian, I'm incredibly energized by being here. Everybody that says that, you know, people in Chiang Mai aren't serious and it's not a motivating place to be, I don't know who they're hanging out with because I'm feeling very motivated by the people I'm bumping into here in Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai has become a hotspot for people doing business online. It's also got like a little bit of a reputation for, you know, people trying to make their first $2,000, which I think that that's amazing. Everybody has to start there. But one of the things that you pointed out to me, which I think is really true, is the way that people in the media and the way that people online sometimes portray places is not actually what's going on. So the story that you told me, the unfortunate series of events that unfolded in Barcelona with the terrorist attack you were reading things online about your neighborhood and then you walk out into your neighborhood and find them to be completely untrue. So I think it is the case that you have to show up to these places and find out for yourself what's going on. There's a lot of inspiring entrepreneurs here on the ground in, in Chiang Mai. And so particularly if you're interested in Amazon, it's a great place to come visit and to meet others who are interested in the same things you are. We'll talk a little bit more about that in today's episode as well. This is a wide ranging conversation. We're going to cover a lot of ground here. So let's get started. Our conversation starts right there where why we're in Chiang Mai specifically. So it's Corin that kicks off the show with his thoughts and Kevin will chime in thereafter. So in the last three years since we got into this space, into this business model, I guess you'd call it. We've seen every year we come back here, there's a huge base of FBA guys here. And every year, people are just growing and growing and growing. And it's not like their business has doubled, it's exponential growth. I know the last episode title was Generational Wealth. Some of the guys I know here that are clients and you know we're prepping their business for sale or they're just friends that I've known for a long time are at the point where you could legitimately say, this is generational wealth that they're building. And they're all in this melting pot of Chiang Mai. So something to me so fascinating about being here, no one's going to know what really happened until 10 or 15 years later. That's kind of the thing about like, that's the theme of this episode too. And part of the reason I wanted to do it is like, you are two guys that I trust. These are conversations that we have all the time. The reality is, is that there's going to be no definitive history on what happened in New York City or Chiang Mai and, until decades later. And if you want to find out, it's either find out or nothing. And this generational wealth thing, it's so true because like, it's that young entrepreneur who maybe gets lampooned by the crowd back home. And it's like, oh, well, Chiang Mai isn't a serious place to go. Chiang Mai is for the lifestyle crowd. One thing as well in the physical product space, I was just in Shenzhen, China last week. So at DCBKK, Mike Michelini asked me to come speak at his event the week after. Okay, so we should probably give a shout to Michael Michelini. Oh, absolutely. His podcast is called globalfromasia.com. He writes this blog called Mike's Blog. He's kind of like the guy in your man in China. Is that sort of fair to say about Mike? Absolutely. And I naturally jumped on a plane. So I flew from Chiang Mai. It was under three hours to Hong Kong. I got a visa on arrival at the border to China, and I was in Shenzhen. And what I noticed there was a lot of guys, some of them were at DCBKK beforehand too, but a lot of guys, that's where their manufacturers are, or they're just outside of the city. So in a three-hour flight, if you're building a physical product business here in Chiang Mai, three, four hours, you're at the factory. That's huge. You can be making deals, you can be getting better margin, you can be iterating on your product a lot better than if you're sitting in New York. So in the physical product space, actually here is a strategic location, as well as being a great place to hang out and meet entrepreneurs. The first time I had you on the show, Kevin, was the concept of the episode was, here's a way that 
we are personally seeing lots of people change their lives from a financial perspective. And it's mindshare. Like this, these techniques, the mindshare of this method online isn't accurately represented because the people making money this way aren't incentivized to speak. If you go around town here, it's not a bunch of people like making podcasts and blogs that are making the money. It's people that are running Amazon businesses that are making money. Yeah, definitely. And I like so many of the guys that are doing that stuff, like they're here, you know, living out here at least some part of the year. They're here for like, there's like a weekly SEO co-working meetup where everyone just gets together in one of the cafes here, does some work and you're there to ask questions. If you're a beginner and you're out here, you can learn a ton from these people out here. But otherwise, a lot of it does just sort of happen quietly, people tapping away and on their laptop. I know it's sort of the theme of the moment in some shitty Airbnb somewhere, building these sites out and getting it done, you know, not going super public about, hey, this is how I'm making all my money. The reality of the internet marketing space or internet business space over the years is that there have been these waves of opportunity. Like if you were selling, you know, affiliate phone card deals in like 2004, you were living good. And if you look at like our space, you know, nowadays, this year, like the meme is three years ago, it was like everybody was talking about drop shipping from your own independent store. Then Amazon Associates comes out. And now all of a sudden, Tropical MBA is making a podcast called How Hundreds of Young Entrepreneurs Are Making Generational Wealth. This year, it's cryptocurrency. There's just crypto everywhere. My question for you guys this stuff is cyclical. You know, the more people that get involved in some ways, the less money there is for everybody. In some respects, we can talk about that in a bit, but is there more or less opportunity in 2018 to get started in Amazon or to expand your business into Amazon than there was in 2017? With the Amazon Associates side of things. Can you describe what Amazon Associates is? So Amazon Associates is their affiliate marketing or commission marketing product or service where basically you refer a visitor from your website to Amazon to go buy a product. And when they do buy that product, you earn a commission. So I read a blog post about like my bicycle and I'll just happen to link to, uh, if you guys like want to support my blog, go, you can buy my bike and here's some other bikes I like and I get a percentage of commission. Correct. As we mentioned in our previous episode, this is a revolutionary product for web publishers because it allows them to more directly make money from their content than previous products like Google AdSense that merely suggested similar sorts of products that people might be able to buy. This is direct, like, buy my bike, I'm going to make a commission, thanks a lot. And it's not just for bloggers, so big brands like Business Insider start publishing these weird review blog posts. It's like, why is the top 10 rice cookers on Business Insider all of a sudden? It's because Amazon Associates has had a deep influence on how people make money on the internet. Yeah, definitely. With the associates program, unlike AdSense, you can actually, you know, throw a big call to action there and say, hey, go buy this bicycle. Whereas with an AdSense site, you can't direct visitors to click on those ads or else risk having your account banned. With Amazon Associates, in terms of looking forward to 2018, I'm seeing it becoming like harder and harder to rank with more and more the the big brands continuing to either add that content to their existing sites, build up new properties or even acquire other properties. So I know earlier this year, we spoke about the purchase of the Wirecutter and Sweet Home. Those two have now been rolled together into one huge property, which then again makes it a way stronger domain. What's it called now? All of those reviews are now on the Wirecutter. So they basically did away with the Sweet Home brand, merged all of that content across. I just want to jump in here quickly to say that what I hadn't realized before I did this pod is that Amazon Associates was actually founded in 1996. It's a practical dinosaur in internet years and has gone through many incarnations and updates. But an important one happened just a few years ago, as Kevin explains. In, I think it was around 2012 or 2013, there was a rate change, which took it from a flat 4% to a tiered-based program. So depending on how many items you shipped, your commissions for all of those items moved up. And then just after we did the uh, previous podcast in February, there was another change to the rates. They halved them more or less, yeah? I don't think it was halved. So we ran the numbers across all of our portfolio sites and we saw a hit to top-line revenue somewhere in the 20 to 25%. 
it basically changed it to being a fixed rate depending on which category. So if you're doing an item in the toys category, that was only worth about 3%. Some of the other categories still remained at 7 or 8%. There are others that I spoke to, also influential bloggers in this space or people that are pretty quiet and run large portfolios. And most of them saw similar hits, although some saw up to like 35% was the largest hit that I heard to top line revenue. 35%. So the listeners are going to have to trust the three of us or not. But I, what I want to ask you guys is because you're in unique rarefied air, feel free to speculate or just give us your opinion about the situation. I only mention it like that because people are quite critical of these business models and we'll get to that at the, at the end of the episode. I'm curious, what's the approach that could work for someone looking to become an entrepreneur as their first step on Amazon I mean, obviously, the easiest way to get started in Associates is that you've already got a blog like Tropical MBA that's ranking well for some terms and you've got some traffic there which you can use to monetize. If you don't have that already, then SEO in 2018 is going to only get harder and harder. And so getting started from a brand new domain where you've gone to GoDaddy and slapped down that $10 to buy the domain is going to be more and more work to get the backlinks that you need and build up the power of the domain that you're using to actually promote those products on. You know, over the few years you've been doing this, you basically see that the difficulty level is just gradually going up, as it was the case with SEO in the past. And your strategy is basically, so you're saying like Wirecutter will have a category for waffle irons. Now they're competing with like a site that you used to own called, you know, waffleironreviews.com or whatever. And because they're the wire cutter, they're going to outrank you and therefore get the majority of the revenue. Correct. So so what happens with the, the big publishing companies is they've got the ability from all of their media properties to send links to their review sites, whether that's the wire cutter, best products, those sort of sites. And because so many people link to their media properties like the news websites, the fashion and lifestyle magazines, they've got a ton of power in those domains that they can then use to rank their product review sites. And on the first page of Google, we're seeing it becoming like more and more shrunk and more and more pushed down to where the actual natural results start. So in a lot of queries now, you see a knowledge box there, which is the quick answer box you see at the top of your search engine results. There's also generally some ads and you're starting to even see that pop into some of these best and review terms there'll start to be people advertising in there and the natural results just continue to get pushed further and further down the page are there any other traffic sources like social media that are economically feasible for sites like yours there are some people that i know that actually do retargeting campaigns for their affiliate sites they'll advertise on facebook once somebody's been to their site to try and get them to come back and actually then buy a product another way you could go about it as well would be to actually set up an email list and capture those emails once people start hitting your site and then you've got that email list you can continue to market to but if you've got a niche where someone will continue to buy a product over and over again so the bicycle niche would be a great one for that like if you've got a, an email list of people that really like road racing, then you're in with a shot. If you've just got your little waffle hunt review site, then there's, there's not really going to be that much interest in signing up for an email list for that. One of the critiques, I don't want to talk about them all now, but it's relevant right now is that these aren't durable business models that because there's an arbitrage factor and because you're using third party platforms and stuff that, you know, it's going to go away. So what do you say to people when they say, well, why would you do something that that income stream won't exist three or four years from now? Well, if someone had said that to me three or four years ago, I wouldn't have built out, you know, this huge affiliate site portfolio that I have now. Like I started this at the start of 2014. So if I'd listened to a ton of that noise around like, yeah, this isn't going to be around forever, then, you know, I wouldn't have built all these sites. I wouldn't have made some healthy numbers from selling products on Amazon or through the Amazon Associates program. And, you know, maybe I would have gone into something else like client SEO. But at the end of the day, like to me, there's always opportunities. It's just going to be, you know, a little bit tougher. You're going to need to do a bit more work to get those backlinks to your site. You know, it might take you an extra couple of months to hit the first page of Google, 
but there is still possibility. It's just longer and longer timeframes. One of the things that I think about, like if the critique is the business won't last that long or the cash flow won't last that long, the implication is that the cash flow will come faster as well. So that's part of the opportunity of a lot of Amazon business models, in my view, is that for us to get to cash flow positive in our original e-commerce business took years and years. And I'm seeing people on Amazon do it in months. So it's like we said about Chiang Mai, every knife cuts two ways. <laughs> There's also an opportunity there. And one of the things I think that it's, it can be short-sighted to notice the short-sightedness is that doing something that's monetized while you're learning tends to be a stepping stone, one that's profitable towards more durable business models, whether that's selling shovels to other Amazon sellers. So in other words, tools that you created. Kevin, in your case, you've created PBNs. And do you sell links on your PBNs? We don't sell links. We just have PBN hosting companies for people that want to build their own networks. I see. So you create like the concrete slab for other Amazon sellers that want to build a link network on top of it. Yeah, whether it's like Amazon associate site publishers, whether it's people that want to do local SEO or, uh, you know, rank pretty well any sort of website. If they want to rank a website, one of the strategies they can use is building that private blog network. And we provide the diversified hosting setup that makes it easy for them to do that. You could go into tools to become durable. You could build a brand to become durable. You could transfer affiliate commissions and traffic from Google into a mailing list, which is more durable. We have friends who've taken Google traffic, turned it into a mailing list, which then turned into a brand, which then turned into wealth, capital W, wealth. I think that critique can be a bit short-sighted, particularly if it thwarts people who are looking for opportunities that are currently in like a J-O-B, right? Like that's the short-sighted business op right there. Definitely, like because building an Amazon associate site is something that you can do as a side project to your nine to five job and like if you build up you know one or two of these sites it's can be pretty easy to hit you know a couple grand a month of revenue from that site which is enough to come out to Chiang Mai go full-time baseline out here and you know continue to build more sites and improve your SEO skills and knowledge to the point that you've got you know 30 sites 60 sites and making some really good money. So just one thing to add to this you know, just because you're building an associate side or a physical product business either, the one thing that you're, we're not talking about yet, you touched on a little bit, but it's domain knowledge in that niche. So you're getting to know that customer, what they want, what they like. If you build a list and you're actually engaging with these people, that can become a real business. Because if the bike space is a great example, I know a lot of people making a lot of money in the cycling space in different ways, right? Once you know what that customer wants, what their problems are, what they're willing to pay for and how much they're willing to pay for it, that's really great insight that you can leverage into a number of businesses. Even if that income channel goes away, you can create another opportunity. That's the interesting thing where the Amazon platform sort of puts you at the nexus of that customer desire. Whereas if you start from like a product perspective and you say, try to develop a new wheel set for your bicycle, and then three years later, you've determined to the tune of a lot of investment that nobody actually wants that wheel set, you're in a different position. Had your wheel set worked out, you might be in a better position though. So again, everything cuts two ways. There's different ways to look at it. One of the things I'd like to emphasize with the Amazon opportunity is I think it favors certain personality types. And I think that founder opportunity fit is really underrated in entrepreneurial conversations. Do you guys think that? Is there a certain crowd that's attracted to Amazon? Whenever someone's asking me about FBA as a broker, right, they ask me, well, what's the best way to get started? How much do you need? Like, what does it take to get started? And I, I actually bring this, I ask people, well, it's up to the person. Because if you don't have a skill set to run an inventory-based business, it might be boring for you. This might be the worst. You could get profitable at it. But some people I'm talking to that are selling are selling because it's not the business model for them. And a lot of buyers, some buyers kind of think, well, why are they selling this? Like it's making all this money, but they hate it. Think about your day to day. So go talk to someone that does associate sites or has a big Amazon FBA business and talk to them about their day to day. How big's their team? What bits does the founder or the owner do themselves? And project yourself into that would that be something you'd want to do whether you're sitting in Chiang Mai New York anywhere would that be what your day-to-day -day wants to look like now as a broker you tend to deal with the people who've come out with something of asset value 
how much of an opportunity do you think there is in 2018 for people to build these assets? It's huge. Similar to SEO, it is becoming a little bit harder to rank something from scratch. So if you, similar to what Kev was saying, if you have an audience and a direct connection to that audience and a way to reach them already, you'd be in front. But we're actually seeing buyers with maybe a little bit more of a budget. So maybe they've got low six figures as a budget to work with. So that's not everyone, right? But say you've got $100,000 to get started. It's a legit question to start from scratch or buy and leverage what's already working. So I think that's the buy side opportunity is probably one of the biggest opportunities in the FBA space right now because businesses are trading for the multiple isn't super aggressive, especially if it's FBA or Amazon only. Because people more or less expect these businesses to blow away with the wind. Exactly. So you're looking at multiples that are less than two years of profit. Yeah, 1.5 to 2.5 on an Amazon, say it's an Amazon US only income source and it's fairly generic products, you're looking at probably 1.5 to two times annual free cash flow or net profit. Let me characterize the buying and selling audience and see if you think this is grossly unfair. I see on the seller side a bunch of young, sparky entrepreneurs that type at 120 words a minute that are very good with spreadsheets and distributed teams and SOPs. They're making assets that investors want in the course of a couple years, flipping them and going back to town on bigger opportunities. In the meantime, sort of making the wealth that it might've taken someone in the generation before us, a working class person their entire life to make that level of wealth. Yeah, that's a fair comment. I think the young part of that isn't the case in really solid larger FBA businesses because one thing that a lot of young people don't see, which this is generalizing, of course, but this is based on hundreds of calls I've had with sellers. I'm seeing a lot of the younger guys kind of make some good cash and they're not reinvesting in the business, whereas someone a little bit more mature will know that they need to reinvest in this business to make it big enough to sell. So the ones that reinvest early aren't really taking much cash out. They're looking at the exit saying, when I exit this thing, then I can go on to my next thing. So that's their payday is when they sell the business. A lot of the people that listen to this show, they want to transition into the location-independent lifestyle via an investment and not via a decade of elbow grease in Chiang Mai or whatever. And so they look to people like you, and they're taking a giant risk to come in to take a big part of their life savings to buy this asset. So is that the character of the buyers, or is it professional investors? So it depends at the price point. So under half a million, we tracked between January and September this year, 2017, we tracked 117 sales. Total list price value was $217 million. So it's a big space. Almost 60% of that was under half a million dollars. So let's talk about that first, because that's the, the bulk of the market, right? These guys, for the most part, and girls, are high paid executives looking to replace their job income or they're looking to have multiple purchases to replace that job income over time. And they're taking two, three, five years as a horizon to do this. So often they'll buy one asset, they'll get that up and running, and then they'll buy another and another to expand because they have more capital than time. And because they're they're working 70, 80 hours a week. They don't have a lot of time to run these businesses, which is why they're so attractive. We're also seeing an older crowd and maybe even retired or retiring crowd looking to get into the FBA space. Maybe they've read about it and they understand the business model. They shop on Amazon, they trust Amazon, and they understand inventory because it's physical products. So even if, worst case, your listing goes down, you have this inventory, right? You can sell it elsewhere. Now, who's buying the businesses above half a million? In the last few months, three to six months, we've seen some strategic buyers coming down under half a million as well. So there are some strategic buyers. Strategic buyer would be what? A strategic buyer would either be someone who has an existing Amazon business. So they've already got a seller account. They're used to ranking on Amazon and they just want to expand faster than starting with a new product, 
So that's one. Another would be maybe they've had an exit. A lot of people that sell their Amazon businesses are looking to come back in and buy Amazon businesses, which is interesting, right? That's a big portion as well. And we're seeing, and this goes to above that level as well, but we're seeing small groups getting together where one person's the operator and they understand this business model. Then they bring in their friends to invest with them to buy and expand these brands. So in the half million to five million range, there's a little bit of a black hole. So there's a specific type of business that will sell faster and far higher multiple, everything else being equal. And that's due to a program in the US, the SBA financing, so Small Business Administration. This is one of the most common ways for Main Street businesses, which is under five million, is considered a Main Street business. Yep, basically small. Yes, a small business worldwide is called Main Street, whether it's a brick and mortar online business, it's a Main Street business. In the US, the bulk of the buyers are US based. And the SBA is a, is a great program to help you acquire other businesses from having a job or if you're looking to expand and acquire other brands to expand your brand or your business. Let's not go above 5 million just yet, unless you think it's interesting. But Back to the theme of the episode, Every Knife Cuts Two Ways. Amazon businesses, I think it's fair to say, okay, before I go on this ranty rant, I want to hear what an FBA business is and how it's different from an, an associate's business. So there's a couple of different versions of an FBA business. I've had, unfortunately, proper arguments on Facebook with people. I break down FBA businesses into multiple categories. One of the first ones was actually about retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. So I just saw an article shared today that some guy's making millions of dollars buying in Walmart stores and selling on Amazon. That type of business isn't really sellable unless you have a, a hands-off supply chain. If you've got to go into the store, look for what's on sale, buy everything you can and then run to the next store, that's taking up all your time and if this guy actually worked out his per hour i'm sure it'd be it's probably fun for him like gets excited about the deals but that's one so that retail arbitrage online arbitrage the next is um, there's a few versions of private label which is very popular and these guys some of these guys have built massive businesses and private labeling has been around forever it's not a new concept at all it can be as simple as finding something that's selling so you can use research tools. And I've had the guys from Jungle Scout on here talking about this before. You can use some research tools to find out what people are already buying. And then you position your product there by putting a brand on it or just sourcing it and not even putting a brand on it. In the beginning, that was a very fast way to cash. The next version of that is where you take some time to maybe improve the product a little bit or put more in the packet, make it more attractive, put different colors, this type of stuff. You look at the negative reviews and come up with better offerings. The next version of private label is where you go a step above. So it's not quite a patented product, but maybe you've got your, your own molds, your own designs. You're really taking that next step to make your product unique. Above that, you've got patented or proprietary products as well. So there's the ranges and all of these can use the fulfillment by Amazon system. I know people that have a line of jewelry or whatever, and it, it's got a brand called, you know, Dan's Diamonds. And I like launch an e-commerce store. I launched a Facebook page. I launched on Amazon and Amazon's 98% of my business. So Dan's Diamonds might want to sell. And that would also more or less be an FBA business, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's super common, actually, with the 98%. Yeah, it's really <laughs> yes. common. So there's this idea of, these could be a single just channel business. So in some ways, like it's hard to conceptualize these as businesses for a mindset that's used to saying like it's a brand that owns its storefront or it's e-commerce store that controls everything. What Amazon has done is it's come along and it's created all that infrastructure for you, including essentially the research tool to figure out what to sell. And so what we're talking about here from a very top level is like when you surf around Amazon, what percentage of those products, they're not Amazon products. They're products from smart people in Chiang Mai that have basically engineered these listings, created the products, and are shipping them to your front door. Every knife cuts two ways, the theme of the episode. If you're running like an SEO agency right now, or if you have a skill set and you're thinking about like, well, what's the opportunity? And these business models aren't durable. You know, it's a bunch of freaking Chiang Mai kids doing this stuff, whatever. 
I'm thinking, no, wait a second. I could take you know a small percentage of the nest egg that I built up over this client-based business, take all the expertise that I've delivered to my clients for the last 10 years, and buy these businesses that are affected quite a bit by whatever you do to them. Because every knife cuts two ways. It moves fast. So now I apply my SEO knowledge. I apply my marketing knowledge. I apply whatever it is that you know about. You could potentially improve the value of an Amazon business much faster than you could a more traditional business. I think weekly I'm having calls with marketing agencies that have their, some of them are sizable marketing agencies too that are looking to do exactly that, that are looking for physical product businesses to take their team expertise and blow the business up. Yeah, for sure. The exact same thing can happen with like an Amazon associate site. So there are guys that I know that are like really good at conversion rate optimization or in other words, split testing the content and the copy, the images of a website and they take a site off of a brokerage, they buy it, they then apply all their CRO knowledge to tweak and improve that site, increase the conversions and therefore the earnings from that site and then do the exact same thing. They take that business once it's improved, sell it off and, you know, make a great return just on flipping those sites in, you know, three to six month timelines. A few days ago, I was at a search engine optimization conference. And when the speaker from stage said, how many people in the room use hrefs.com to rank their sites number one in Google? The entire audience of hundreds of SEOs raised their hands. Yes, hrefs.com is a tool that is synonymous with ranking your site number one in Google. It allows you to uncover what people in your niche are searching for and how difficult it might be to rank for the all-important number one spot in those searches. Better yet, it helps you to uncover little-known niches of profitable terms that will drive customers to your business. So go to hrefs.com, that's A-H-R-E-F-S.com for a free 14-day trial. And during that free trial, you'll get access to all of their tools and data for two weeks at no charge. That's invaluable. And Ahrefs is also offering one lucky TMBA listener the chance to win an annual subscription valued at over $2,000. To enter that draw, just share this episode on Facebook and let us know about it. Thanks again to hrefs.com for sponsoring the show. Now, this might be a naive question, but why is your portfolio a bunch of associate sites? Why not do FBA sites? I guess with FBA, it's it's a very different beast to associates. So associates is very much a thing where, you know, for a thousand bucks all in, you can buy some content, you can buy your domain, get a logo done, buy a theme, put the whole site together and get some links to it and, you know, start making money in say six to nine months from that site. Whereas like FBA is very much a different beast, a very capital intensive beast where you're throwing in 10 to 20 K. And then as Karen was saying before, like some of the guys aren't taking any money out of that business. They're just throwing it all back into that business with the exit being their windfall from it. I think part of the the way I positioned this episode when we first had Kevin on Corin is, you know, if you're sitting in a job that you don't like, here's like the reality of what young people are doing and you could potentially do. And it's legible. It exists, you know, come meet these people and do it yourself. And it, something might come of it. Nothing might come of it. But what I'm hearing today is that this industry, like the people in our community, it's growing up a little bit. And that all of a sudden you've got like, PE firms getting involved. You have established investors. You have established marketing agencies coming into this space. You know, whereas a few years ago, you could start with like a membership to an online forum and a couple hundred bucks and a side project. Nowadays, you know, your chances of success with that kind of approach might be a little bit lower. Do you guys feel that's the case that the just that bar is just getting ever so higher and this is becoming more of a grown up space? Yeah, definitely. I mean, with like all the algorithm changes that have come down combined with the affiliate space or the Amazon associate space becoming more and more popular with those major publishing companies like for the smaller guys like myself that run you know a small portfolio small collection of sites what's the value of the portfolio you run kevin i'd rather not say <laughs> okay <laughs> the smaller guy <laughs> can we keep that part in the episode sure there's all these different levels like People that listen to Tropical MBA, a lot of them are 
30-year executives that are thinking about making a transition into entrepreneurship or they have entrepreneurial skill set running large businesses for decades. And then you have the people that are listening because they're thinking, well, I might, you know, when I graduate college, I might want to do this for a year before I get a real job or whatever. So you got this like broad spectrum of people thinking like, what is a large business? What is, and you got Corin coming along saying, well, a $5 million business is technically a small business, right? So there's, there's all these different ways to say it, but you're not running your business without serious cash investment, basically, Kevin, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of cash tied up in that business, definitely not. To get started, again, like you could do it for like a couple hundred dollars hosting account that'll last you a few years and you know you could sit there nights and weekends and like type all that content up yourself, do all the research yourself and you know start with like very little or you know for like a thousand or a couple thousand dollars pay someone to actually go and research that stuff for you do the writing for you or you know even at that point maybe you've got like 50k 100k and you go and buy a small site off of a marketplace that's earning a couple grand a month and then take that and expand it and grow it further there's like you know ranges of where you get started at definitely yeah so i'm in a unique position because i speak to a lot of people on the sell side probably more three times more on the buy side there is a ton of buyers in this space so it's interesting seeing the types of people on both sides it'd be interesting for us to discuss equally selling versus buying so starting from scratch is is obvious you can get started in associates you can get started in fba from scratch buying in is a really interesting option and something that a lot of people are looking to do. And even people that are successful in the space, in the FBA space specifically, are looking to grow via acquisition. Let's talk about it. What's the opportunity? I don't know a lot about Amazon. I just use it. I'm a Prime member, I think. But frame it up to me in a way that I could, you know, at my level. Sure. Say you're doing a million in revenue. Your income is coming from Amazon US only. So there's no outside Amazon income. So you're talking to me as if I'm running an Amazon business. Yeah. So imagine with me that you're doing a million a year, private label products. You've got a a decent product range. You know how to rank stuff on Amazon. You're not afraid of going to China and sourcing product, making changes to the products. More importantly, you have a team running this for you. Okay. Keep that in mind. So this business, we did an average of the net profit of all the businesses that we saw that have sold this in, there was 160 since we started our FBA business price guide. So this is data we do every month. There was 160 businesses. What's the data source? It's painfully manual. (laughs) We look everywhere. So we found, for instance, 50 separate business brokers that have listings at the moment. What are the top five places to go buy an Amazon business? So the best place to buy an Amazon business, and this isn't a shameful plug, this is actually useful because I would have loved this when I was buying and selling, our Monday Market Watch email, we actually link to all of the new listings regardless of who lists them. So in other words, you don't care about competition or whatever? No. Yeah, okay, fair. You're not listing businesses on your website, are you? No. So our stuff we do, yes, but not other. We don't aggregate everything, no. This is a resource because when I was looking to buy and sell myself before becoming a broker, I would have loved this. (laughs) So there's a number of different places. You know, our friends at Empire Flippers, there's Flipper.com, there's a ton of brokerages that are out there. There's the more traditional business for sale websites. So BizQuest, BizBuySell, BusinessForSale.com, there's a ton of them. Is it fair to say, let's just talk about the scene since you're a part of it, that the only two real like public boards that cater to this space are Empire Flippers and Flippa. Outside of that, it's sort of a smattering of brokerages and like traditional brokerages that are interested in internet now. And and then there's a lot of folks like you who are business people that are getting involved as brokers, basically. Yeah, there's a lot of traditional brick and mortar business brokers that are now starting to have e-commerce businesses for sale as well, which I find quite interesting. They're actually a great source because they don't know how to value stuff. <laughs> I actually reached out to one. It was at just over a 1x multiple. <laughs> and I was on the phone straight away as soon as I saw that. Because it's too low or too high? Or... Yeah, for the business it was, it was about half of what it should have been. They had four offers on the business and it had only been out a week. So that tells you that it was priced to sell. 
All right. So we're talking about the secrets and the opportunities and you, you get the data source. So basically what you're trying to do is express what the totality of the marketplace looks like. So I think it's incumbent upon us to promise to like the producer right now, and I can just say this, would it be possible to print this data on this blog post? Yeah, absolutely. It'd probably be too difficult for the listener to actually grok everything as we walk through it, but we should print it all on the website so that you can say like, based on Corin's manual research, and this is what the totality of that marketplace, it's 216 million in, in 2017 so far. Yeah, January to September, over 217 million in list price have been sold. How much do you think you're capturing in the market? A very small percent. <laughs> yes. A very small percent because there's, there's like different languages. So this is just like what you've found on the internet. Like that's where we're at with this opportunity right now in terms of making it legible to the listeners. And there's a ton of side deals that happen off market, especially at the top end. You won't see these advertised. Why? The largest deal that we saw advertised was 55 million that sold. But a lot of this stuff is lower middle market. Private equity firms do private deals. I know of a deal coming to market Q1 next year that's 20 million in revenue annually. It's just Amazon only. And that business is being prepared for sale by an M&A firm who are reaching out to find strategic acquisition partners for this business. They're not posting this on a website. They're going to find people that actually want this brand and can take it outside of Amazon. What does all this mean? Like from a very top level? It means that there's a lot of money coming into the space. If you have a a profitable FBA business, it means that chances are fairly high that you'll be able to sell and sell fairly quickly depending on what type of business you have. But more importantly, why I was talking about acquisitions, because if you have a million in revenue and a team, that's great, right? On average, out of that data we saw, there's people are doing about 30% net profit as an average. I use 20% as a baseline, right? So 20%, you're doing about 200,000 net. A private equity firm or a big strategic partner is not going to look at a business that small. But if you have the team and infrastructure in place, you could go buy a 5 or a $10 million more diversified business that's been around a lot longer and roll your business into that business. And it's not actually that much of a reach. It may sound kind of crazy to talk about, oh, why would I buy a bigger business? If you have the infrastructure in place, the team, you have a strategic advantage. It's worth me mentioning, you know, my experience about why like I'm so pumped to talk about this because 10 years prior when I was in my job, we had a team in place, we had an infrastructure in place, we had a high rent bill every, we had a facility, we had everything. And this was a company that I was like a lieutenant for. I didn't, was not the owner. So part of my role, like in my 10% time or whatever, was to go find potential businesses to purchase because it was the exact same thinking that you're expressing right now. The problem is, is that every business that was in our price range, and this was like, these were businesses that were sub $5 million. Every owner was completely wrapped up in the business without exception. Like not only does the business depend on their reputation and them being able to bring in clients, but their Cadillac and their wife's Cadillac is on. I mean, so it's very rare in this world of like bizbuysell.com, something under a million dollars in sale price, that it's not just the owner extension plus assistant, you know, basically the owner bringing home the bacon. And so Amazon, like you're saying, is like all of a sudden this is this platform that brings home the bacon and it's relatively easy to automate a lot of these systems and put people in these roles, which 10 years ago, 15 years ago is much more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. On the lower end, if someone comes in and the business is really the owner, a lot of that can be trained fairly easily because nine out of 10 times the owner or the seller has come in with no knowledge themselves. So they can easily turn around and show you how to get up and running. If that's the case on the flip side where you're on the buy side and it's just the owner running everything, you could come in with efficiencies with your team and blow it up from there. You You guys seem optimistic about the Amazon platform. Like what's the doomsday? I have a story. A couple of the FBA doomsday things, uh, there's, there's a couple of smart Western marketers going into Chinese factories and helping them dominate Amazon listings. That's scary. Explain how that might work. The factories in China, they're, they're wanting to sell in bulk. They don't want to sell one at a time. 
But if a company comes in and says, we'll manage all of that for you, you just send the product over, they've got it in the factory. They'll essentially become a sales channel for them and take a percentage of that. That's huge. It's always been a fear of manufacturers, by the way. Well, one more thing that's also scary is Amazon is doing this as well. They have a global selling program. And at the event I was at in Shenzhen, one of the speakers was Amazon Global <laughs> talking to half the room. There was 300 people. Half of them were actual factories and manufacturers were talking to them about how they can help them sell on Amazon directly. So Amazon basically knows all the data of what products sell, what categories are profitable, and at any moment they could just take over, right? Yeah. What's another doomsday scenario, Kevin? I mean, from the SEO side, we're seeing more and more like Amazon starting to try and rank pages for like the best waffle irons. Now, at the moment, those pages are just pretty much just listicles of here are the top best sellers off of their platform. But it wouldn't be too hard for them to add a bit of a content game into that and actually go through and read the data that they've got, have somebody write a buying guide for themselves. And again, with all the links that Amazon have got going to them, they're a, you know, a very strong and well-trusted name in the space. So if you're going to buy a Waffle Iron, you know, maybe you would just refer to the Amazon buying guide on it. Would it be so crazy that Amazon reach across the aisle to Google and shake hands and take the top three ad placements for categories? Yeah, definitely. And also the other thing you're seeing is more and more traffic for people looking to buy will just go straight to Amazon. So if you're thinking about, I want to go buy that Waffle you might just go straight to Amazon to buy that, read through a few of the reviews or read through their buying guide if they eventually start releasing them themselves without actually going out to Google and stumbling across a site like mine. Before we encounter some critiques, are there any secrets or opportunities or perspectives that you feel you would have benefited from just a few years before that, that you now know our listeners might benefit from? You really need to manage your money. In an inventory-based business, a lot of your capital is tied up. You need to be able to project into the future and with some certainty. Because if you run out in Q4 and that's your biggest sales time of the year, you're going to lose a ton of potential income. You're going to lose a ton of rankings potentially. That type of operator mindset or have a partner that is really on the ball with numbers and just geeks out on that sort of stuff, let's get our profit margin cranking and what are we actually making? You need that skill set to be successful in an inventory-based business longer term. The thing that I would have liked to have heard years ago is just be more patient about it. So like in the early days, all I was doing was like, Every day I'd check the earning stats. Every day I'd check the ranking stats. And like as you grow more and more and grow bigger, it's just impractical to go in there and check that every day. Your time's much better spent on the higher level stuff of you know strategy of what am I going to do next and how can I continue to grow the portfolio. Corin, what do you say to people who say this FBA stuff, just the flavor of the week, just a bunch of digital nomads failing at making money online it's a matter of perspective and it's a matter of how you're executing your own plan amazon fba is a service amazon as a platform is a sales channel what you choose to do with it you could do anything with that within the terms of service right so what you choose to do or what layer you put on what someone else is doing then maybe if you're thinking too much about what someone else is doing maybe you're not doing anything <laughs> Maybe you're sitting on the couch saying, well, these guys should do that. Well, this guy over here is investing $50,000, $100,000 in his idea. He's making it happen. It might not work for him. He may lose his cash. You know, you got to give some people credit for taking the chance and investing in themselves and giving, giving it a good go. Like maybe they're solving a problem for a customer that you don't see because you're not the customer in the product example. Forget about the advice. Like, forget about what everybody's saying here. It's all a matter of we're kind of gesturing towards these systems that exist. They are creating wealth. That's the reality. Whether or not you get involved and how you get involved is completely up to you. I mean, that's the best sort of we can do. Guys, parting shots. There are a lot of different ways you can go about that Amazon Associates business, whether that's 
as we do where we build an entire portfolio of sites or whether that's just you know taking a site around a passion or a hobby that you have and going all in on content on that one site becoming a huge authority in that space and then who knows like you could even parlay that into you know your own brand where you start having private label bike shorts and jerseys made for you and you start selling them on Amazon like there's a wide range of things that you can do with the Amazon Associates program and I think it's a really great opportunity still. My parting thoughts are the income channel is not the business. So choose what business you want to be in and then maybe Amazon Associates can give you some more revenue. Maybe FBA is a great way to get your products to your customers. Maybe neither of these business models suit you and what you want to do. But the biggest thing, especially if you're sitting in a job and you're listening to this right now like I was back in Australia, just pick something and go for it. Try it. See if it fits. You can get started pretty easily. If it's not for you, cool. We'll find something else. Yeah. There's a million episodes you guys have done of different business models. You could jump into something else, but don't blame someone else for you not being able to be location independent if that's your goal. Take responsibility and do something with it. Guys, thanks for joining us on the TMBA podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invite. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. We're going to be posting the show notes, the links. We'll have the discussion at tropicalmba.com slash Amazon 2. So Amazon and the number 2. Yeah, Ian, the last time we, we did a podcast on Amazon, we got comments all over the web on it. I think it fires people up. It fires people up for a bunch of different reasons. I think on this podcast, we very often focus on business models that, you know, engage passion and vision and making the world a better place and, you know, achieving your dreams and all that kind of stuff. All awesome. The Amazon business model is a little bit different. It's a little bit more cutthroat. It's like, you're more like a trader. You're following data. You're looking at financial models. You're making strategic moves and it's tempting to want to moralize some of that stuff and judge it. Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning when we first started like tracking this marketplace, it was interesting because I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened on the Amazon platform and with FBA, but Amazon started off as like a place where you could go and find reviewed products by real people and then people in our community started figuring out, "Hey, there's a lack of this product. We should be selling this product on Amazon." And then Amazon started fulfilling. So it was real easy. You didn't have to have a warehouse. You would just send your products into Amazon and then you know, people started saying like, oh, well, you can't get it in this country. And so there was an, there was an opportunity there. So there's like a lot of arbitrage. There's a lot of trading going on. And now I'm seeing these are actually mature businesses. And when they become mature businesses, now guys like Corn come in and they say, you can sell your mature business. It's been really fun to have like a front row seat in that, Dan, just like watching the progression of this market and this marketplace with guys like Corin stepping up and selling these types of businesses. One thing I want to emphasize, you know, as far as the opportunity here and how these things work, a lot of the people that are down on business models like this, they'll say something like, well, it's a fad, it's going to pass. And that may be true, but it is often, quote, fads like this or trends that allow newer people to get their first foothold and to get launched. Like in our case, that was SEO. It was in 2006 when we were learning about the internet, there wasn't enough competition. You didn't need a big budget to compete with big players. And so we were able to rank number one for what we needed to rank for. And yeah, like that's not how we could do our business anymore, but it was our foothold. Yeah. And so I think that if you're thinking about this opportunity, there's so many different ways to think about it, of course, as an investor, as an established entrepreneur. But if you're thinking about like whether or not this is a way to get started, that's how I would think about it. Like, look, this doesn't need to be what you do for the next 15 years. But there are these opportunities that come along in business that it's a way to get involved without a huge budget. And I think that that's what we're seeing with Amazon. For somebody that's just starting out, I think that's exciting. But then also, Dan, for somebody that's more established and is actually already in the industry, it's exciting too, because now basically 
you have people are basically legitimizing your business by creating a marketplace around it, right? So like, oh yeah, these are legit businesses because now you can build them, you can profit from them, and now you can even sell them. That's a sign that this type of business is really maturing. This comes back to the theme again of the sword cutting two ways or the double-edged sword is like the things that made it seem like not a real business at the beginning, like, oh, it's on someone else's platform. Oh, it's all automated and oh, it doesn't have its own infrastructure. Those are the exact reasons why investors are interested. You and I are hearing rumblings, very early rumblings of PE firms and venture-backed firms putting together serious money to buy these types of businesses. And so again, that's another indication that I believe that this is becoming a seriously established marketplace. What are your thoughts? We'd love to hear them. All of the links again in show notes will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash Amazon2. And that's it, boss man. I'd like to thank again, Corn and Kevin for dropping by, sharing their knowledge with us. And it can be a little bit difficult to get folks involved in Amazon to share what they're up to. <laughs> We post everything at tropicalmba.com slash Amazon2. And of course, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.